from the Montclair State University Film Forum. This is Film Forum Extras. Learn about independent filmmaking from pre-production to distribution through the expertise of esteemed film professionals. Join us every week for behind-the-scenes discussions with directors, producers, writers, and more. Okay, welcome Nathan Silver to the podcast. How's your day today? It's going fine. Another day in Montclair. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let me ask you about the film that we'll be showing tonight at the Film Forum on certain terms. Uh, what was your experience like making that? And well, it was an odd experience because it came about um, after another film fell apart when we basically lost the funding for it and the rights to that script. Um, so we had access to this. We got a we had gotten a grant from Canon, so we had access to all this camera equipment, and we had a location we could shoot at my parents' new house in Rhinebeck. They just moved there from uh, Massachusetts. And so we, the two other writers and I, we sat down and knocked out an outline within a week, and then we were able to cast it within a month, and then we were up and shooting. Mm -hmm. So it stars, like, you know, my best friend, my childhood friend, David, and my mom, and then we cast India. Able to. And sort of like, what is it about? It's about a home for unwed, for basically pregnant teenagers. Mm -hmm. And was that inspired by something in your real life? Or? Yeah, my mom had my brother when she was 16 and was sent off to a home for unwed mothers in Staten Island. And so this is, in the film, she runs this house for these girls, but it's like the exact opposite experience of what she went through. She was in a prison-like situation. And the house that she runs is kind of like a haven for them. Right. So, and you cast your mother in a lot of your films. I do. Yeah. And why is that? You know, I have a horrible relationship with my mother. So, <laughs> but uh, I mean, we have a we have a very fraught relationship. Yeah. Um, the way I so, I feel like so much of my the way I think of stories, the way I tell stories, comes from my mother. Her she tells these stories in very meandering and. She has a real knack for make for bringing together many things over the course of five minutes. She can you know talk about the end of the world, her father, me, like, and it, it somehow makes sense. And that has always interested me about her, just the way she talks. And I used to write in my like when I was doing short films, I'd always write these characters based on her. And she's also like a classic Jewish neurotic mother. She's like the classic Jewish mother, you know. Um, but I used to like write write these roles based on her and I cast other people. And then when I made my film Exit Elena, I decided I'd finally cast her to play herself. And um, she couldn't memorize lines or do any blocking. So basically that led to improvisation. Mm -hmm. And that's why I guess I started doing all the improv. Right, in your films? Yeah. So uh, talk about a little bit about that, how, because I didn't know that, how... Uh, most of your films are improvised, sort yeah, of, or they, like they outlined? they were for uh, a long stretch. My first film, The Blind, was fully scripted, and then that was a really trying experience. After that, I um, decided to go back to what I had... Like, so I went to school for playwriting and screenwriting. I wanted to do experimental theater, and um, at that time, I wanted to do... I, I played around a lot with improvisation and so when I went to filmmaking I for whatever reason I thought that it needed to be you know, things need to be fully scripted because I would help get the money and all this and that and it does of course but I wanted to go back to you know what I'd been exploring in college and so 
for my second feature, I decided to do something that was very small with, you know, next to no money with my, it was with my girlfriend at the time, uh, my mother, my dad's friend, our neighbor, my best friend behind the camera, who's actually the lead of Uncertain Terms, um, David. So it was, you know, it was, we were able to experiment and it was shot in my parents' home in their old home in Boston. And so, um, yeah, we would start off, we had a, about an, an outline of about, I don't know, 20 pages for Exit Elena, and then that was the, my second movie. And then for uh, Uncertain Terms, of probably like 15, 20 pages. All the dialogues, you know, improvised. We would, the DP and the producer, they were the co-writers on Uncertain Terms, and we'd sit down each morning and kind of sketch out some lines that we would want, like some beats we would want them to hit, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, there was no script. And why do you feel that that's a better way for, to work for you? There was, no, I'm back to scripts now. I think it oh. was, I was frustrated with what happened on my first feature, and then I wanted, I was interested in just capturing, basically making a documentary of a fictional world was what interested me, and so in order to do that, I would not give the actors lines. I would give them prompt, like I would give them beats, I would give them actions. It would be broken down into the, you know, bare essentials of what a scene, the bare essentials of what each scene had to convey. Can I can I vote in for a second? Hey, Chris here. Um, so it's it sounds like you you did this all with a large group of friends, not so much like a bunch of uh, professionals from the industry. It kind of sounds like a like you said, your one of your better friends is behind the camera. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, I mean, um, that's so that was on my on my first film. It was all professionals. We shot in thirty five millimeter. We had a larger, much larger budget. Um, so for my second film, it was very nice to have no pressure, no financial pressure, so to speak. And then after that, you know, the films grew a bit in size and because of festivals, they got some attention. They got, you know, released in cities around the U.S. and then eventually around the world. Um, and so, I mean, I was able to, like with Third Street, which was um, a movie I made two years ago, I was able to have, you know, fully fully professional crew even if we only had 20 a 20 page treatment um and we were able to raise the budget using that treatment but it was based on my prior work you know that's why so i met people i met people who were willing to work with me after exilena at festivals and um just you know film gatherings well that's always kind of a, a white area for a lot of film students is, is getting the funding you know just from what you have on paper you know nothing is is on screen for an investor to see yet. Um, how do you usually go about getting the funding for a, a film of this caliber? Um, I mean, it's from film to film, and you just have to. These films had this, this. You feel like Don Quixote, like you just have this. You, you're delusional in your need to make this thing, and so you, nothing, quite. You just you're unwavering, and uh, I think people when they sense that you're going to get this thing made, they want to help out. And then when they like your work, when you eventually you have enough work to show, they want to support you. Some people have, you know, supported multiple movies of mine because they, they, they like my work and want to see more of it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's it's a strange industry. It's you know a strange art form that requires a lot of money, and it's also there's no guarantee of a return. So it's a big gamble. And some people like that gamble. And some people like also just being a part of, like, the whole festival scene. They like the red carpet stuff, you know, the um, 
being around semi-famous people, famous people, you know, that's their, that's what they pay for, I guess. And can you talk a little bit about getting your films into festivals? Yeah. Um, so I had a short film, uh, my first three short films, they uh, didn't get into any festivals, and then I made, uh, then I made a film that was like 40 minutes long with my, with David behind the camera, and it was just a one-person crew was doing sound. Um, and that got into this festival called Slamdance that runs alongside Sundance. And when that got in, um, I decided to go to Park City with a feature-length script. And so that was kind of like the first, like I realized that these, that the films, if you tried, like if you just pushed them out of the world enough, eventually they'd land somewhere. Um, then with like Exit Elena, it's, it was shot on mini DV and has a very rough quality to it. And this guy had just started working at the Edinburgh Film Festival. He was the new artistic director there, this guy, Chris Fujiwara. And I owe so much to him because he took a chance on that movie. And then it got a lot of festival play because of him. And then got a lot of critics talking because he was a film critic, or he's a film critic. Um, so he basically sent it out to the right people. And in all of the uh, press releases, he would, he would talk about my movie. And so people went to see it. And uh, then after that, I got to just meet a lot of festival heads you know, the more you travel, the more people you meet. And eventually you can just send it to them directly. I remember I hassled, like, for instance, Rotterdam multiple times. They rejected my movie, rejected my movie, rejected my movie. And then one year they finally, like, I think I just wore them down enough that they took <laughs> stinking heaven. And it was just, it was kind of funny. But uh, it's, you know, you meet people. When I got into Edinburgh and I was seeing, I saw a programmer there, she asked me how they had discovered my movie, and I said, through the site without a box. And she laughed, and she said, oh, I didn't think that worked. So, I mean, it's usually through word of mouth. It's usually through, like, a connection that you get it to the right person at a festival, because there's so many submissions. For instance, like, we're playing, I have a new movie that's going to be at um, AFI, which is a festival in L.A., and I've played that festival multiple times. I love it. But I just saw a letter that they had over 4,300 submissions, which, I mean, you can just imagine the numbers there. It's crazy. And Sundance has like 8,300 every year. I mean, these places have so many, I mean, it's it's a real mindfuck, you know, imagine watching. And obviously the head programmers don't get to see everything. It's all kind of, they have, there are many programmers, you know, pre-screen, they're pre-screeners and then to kind of get rid of whatever is garbage. Right. And so that sort of brings me to my uh, final question, which I'll do now. It's uh, like you teach here at Montclair State. What is some advice that you would give to film students of a young age today? I would say make as much stuff as you can. And while you're in school and you have access to equipment and people, make it now. And I would say like just the more you can, the more you work, the more you realize like your failures and like you understand what you're capable of making. And I think that I didn't, I thought that I was like, I almost thought before I made a film, like I was born a filmmaker. And then I realized by making films that I'm not, it wasn't, I had to learn how to make films. And I feel like I've made, I'm on my 10th feature now. And I feel like I'm only starting to have some idea of how to make these things. Right. And so you say you felt like you were a filmmaker naturally. So when did, when you when did that feeling kind of start when you were a child no when i i when i switch, i wanted to be a poet then i wanted to be a playwright and then i wanted to be then 
filmmaking didn't really come into play until I was in my early 20s. But all those are story-based, yes. creative aspects. So when did that sort of... that? That's always been there. There, yeah. there was an obsession. When I was a little kid, I drew all the time and like um, did visual arts throughout you know, elementary, middle school, high school. But uh, I, when I'm, what I mean to say is that like there's a confidence that you have before you actually fail. That you're like, I, I can do this. Like you see, like you see these horrible films. You're like, I'm never going to do anything like that. And then you realize, oh, okay, like you kind of have to come to terms with the fact that you don't know how to do this thing, and you have to learn how to do. And you don't even know what you're capable of making until you just start making stuff. Like I didn't know that I would do these improvised features. I didn't know what they would be like. I didn't know what they'd look like. It's like trying to. It's like when when you're pregnant with a child and you 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 say that this child is going to look like this exact thing and you just you, you draw out exactly how the child is going to look it's, it's that ridiculous you know um, I don't know right. I just I, think that it, it takes a lot of I think you just have to have to you just have to understand that failure is not the end right and I failed so many times now that at this point it's part of the course it's just part of it and what's your writing process like? I always write with other people. Um, I find writing the initial ideas that come when you when you begin to think of a project. It's a, that's an extremely fun time, and then it becomes very miserable to structure the, that idea or to actually turn it into something that can be that will take place over the course of eighty to however many minutes the film is. And so, with other people, at least I'm not bashing my head against the wall alone. I'm bashing it against other brains. I'm using, you know, so something, some, hopefully some sparks fly and then, I don't know, something happens. I feel like, you know, writing is, uh, is and really you, frustrating. Do you always outline? Yes. First? I mean, we, for this movie, The Great Pretender, the last movie I made, that was the script was written by Jack Dunphy, and we I just sent him like a a bunch of notes, and then he started writing, just scripting it. So he didn't outline, but that was supposed to be a web series. So it was broken up into five sections, and so he would just write each section. Like it, he would do the first section, send that to me, and then we'd discuss it, and then the second. So it was written in a fairly unconventional way, I guess, in that regard. Okay, so you talked a little bit about being interested in experimental theater. What does mm -hmm. that sort of mean? Uh, there was a guy I, I saw, I saw his plays during, when I would visit my brother, because my brother lived in New York. I would go and stay with him, and, I, and one time when I stayed, stayed at his apartment, I went to see this play by Richard Foreman. He ran this thing called the Ontological Hysteric Theater, which started in, I think, the 60s or 70s. And his stuff was just very, uh, it, had, it had its own narrative flow. It was very much in your face with loud, like, buzzers going off, and the text was kind of meaningless, but it was it had this extraordinary feeling to it. And I fell in love with it very much. And when I went to, when I was in NYU, I was able to um, intern for him. And I saw his whole process. And he would talk about how miserable he was and how, like, this was back in 2003 or so. He would say that, like, theater's dead. No one cares about him or his theater anymore. He, movies are the way to go. And so he would recommend all these movies to watch. And Kim's, this video store, was around the corner from where the internship was. St. Mark's Church, and uh, St. Mark's Church, and uh, so I'd go to Kim's and rent all these uh, movies, you know, by Pasolini and Fassbinder, and 
Muratov and like it would just turn into this like and then I ended up quitting the internship and that's when it switched me over to movies and the funniest part is is that at Kim's the manager of Kim's is now my DP this guy Sean Price Williams who's the manager so it's like the small world of people who I don't know right. it's funny um, what are you what are some of the movies that inspire you or filmmakers that inspire you well, initially it was, uh, I mean, Boonwell's always been there from the time I was very little. I, my dad showed me on Channel on Deleu, and I could never get the image of the eye being cut out of my brain, um, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I was in high school, I saw, I lived, I lived in France for a year, and I saw there was a Boonwell retrospective in the town I was living. So I saw all of his movies. And I saw Exterminating Angel, and it just, like, I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. And so I guess Boonwell ranks pretty far pretty high up there and then you know Fassbender was a huge influence on me and he has that theater connection and I just watched devoured all of his movies or nearly all of them it's hard it was hard to come by some of them um I was really into Pasolini for a while I don't know now I mean like there's so many like then I just started devouring like basically devouring anything (laughs) but PLA had a big impact on me because when I saw I know it was a more um and the Criterion put out the DVD of that. I uh, there was something about the energy there that really, like, I you could sense this um, just the way he staged some of the there. There are scenes in this movie where the, this family is like beating each other up, but it's like from a wide shot. You know, unlike Cassavetes, it's not like you're not in close during those violent scenes. And I just started thinking of, like I think that that's why I mean, how I it got me th- thinking about like how to stage emotional violence and that seeped into Exit Elaine I would say and I don't know so there you pick up different influences at different times I, I loved also I love Marinada um, I saw Forest for the Trees that knocked me out beyond belief and then she ended up making Tony Erdman which kind of pushed her and everyone else like everyone else got I guess a lot of recognition but she's great and I was reading on your, um, you have a top 10 list on Criterion, mm-hmm. and this is Spinal Tap is one of them. Oh, yeah, because that sort of yeah. correlates to your imp- uh, improvisational. I've seen that movie a million yeah. times. My brother introduced me to it. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> movie. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Nathan Silver. We Thank will you. see you tonight. For us here at the Film Forum Podcast, signing off. If you are interested in today's discussion, drop by the Montclair State University Film Forum Tuesday nights at 7 in the School of Communication and Media.